Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host for Nick's Nerd. What's up, guys? It's me, Nick, your host. This is Nick's Nerd News, and this is the start of the second half of our first decade. That's a weird thing to say. Uh, uh, <laughs> the first start of our sixth year. How about that? That's a better better thing, right? You know, obviously, we hit five years on on the airwaves last week with episode 260. Um, this week, we, we start year six, right? It's uh, crazy that we've come this far, that uh, I get to prattle on about nonsense to all of you each and every week. I'm sure you guys very much enjoy it, right? Don't you? Anywho, I've got some fun stuff to talk about today. Biggest thing, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is out. And I did see it, and I did very, very much enjoy it. Obviously, we'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Uh, just not a lot of crazy video game news. I mean, EA is doing really well, surprisingly, compared to others. Um, Ubisoft's not, and Bungie is doing things, Xbox is having issues, Sony is getting ready for their fall, things like that, so not nothing crazy on that end. And then obviously, uh, we're going to talk about some stuff in the TV world, the writer's strike is still ongoing, it's only been about a week or so, and that's already starting to affect some major productions, so it, it, it's, it's going to be... Not a lot of crazy things, right, but obviously some news to talk about. Uh, of course, being the most important, the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 review at the end of the podcast. I'm going to keep reminding you guys. Uh, just a couple quick housekeeping notes. As always, check out nixternews.com where you guys can listen to the show right in your browser. Or if you prefer, you can uh, find the links to all of the streaming sites we're on. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Amazon Music, and a couple other places. Obviously, those are the big ones. That's where you guys are going to want to like, share, subscribe. Um, you can thumbs up, thumbs down, leave reviews, interact with me. Make sure you guys do that. Also, uh, don't forget to check out our social media. So, Nixner News on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, places like that. Uh, check out my personal TikTok under the Nick DeFalco going to post a lot of previews for the episodes, things like that there as well. So, uh, let's not waste any more time on social media or talking about what we're going to talk about. Let's just talk about it, shall we? So, what's going on in the video game world, right? What What is the soup du jour in the video game world? Well, let's start off with the story surrounding Niantic and what's going on with Pokemon Go and how... There is allegedly a story going around that profits have plummeted in regards to Pokemon Go for Niantic. There was a report in April that their revenue over the last five years has essentially plummeted given the pushback to the changes made to the raid system earlier this year. Uh, they did speak to Eurogamer saying, quote, We generally don't comment on third-party estimates of our revenue as they are often incorrect, which is the case here. 
Our revenue so far in 2023 is up on last year, unquote. That goes against MobileGamer.biz that claimed that Pokemon Go's revenue had slumped from $42 million in March down to $34.7 million in April, which is the lowest revenue since February of 2018 for the, for the game, for Niantic. While, while this sounds possible, it, it is interesting to see such a huge drop, especially given the changes. First off, a lot of these changes were made for COVID and, and things that have to do with that. And obviously they rolled them back as the world tries to get back to some sen- sense of what it was like pre-2020. Niantic followed it up with, quote, We don't focus on month-to-month trends because they fluctuate based on major live events. This year's changes have already increased in-person rating, and we're excited to introduce exciting new features over the coming months, unquote. So it looks like they're doing okay. Again, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's obviously not reaching the heights it was in like 2016 and things like that when it first came out, but they've been adding almost all the Pokemon now, things like that. I, I, I do expect there to be a drop-off in Pokemon Go eventually. I don't think it will be like plummeting, plummeting, but almost a $9 million drop is, is pretty big. It, that, that's a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. But anyway, moving on, Redfall has come out for uh, Xbox, Game Pass, PC, and it seems to be uh, not a good game. And a lot of stories have been coming out in regards to how Microsoft treated it, how Microsoft kind of let it just go out to die, or why would they release this game when they're trying to get people back on the platform, sales are slumping, blah, 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 things like that. But Phil Spencer has essentially come out and said he takes full responsibility. He was on the Kinda Funny X cast, which is the Xbox podcast produced by Kinda Funny Games. And Phil said, quote, upset with myself. Going to take full responsibility for launching a game that needs to be great, unquote. Uh, the other problem with Redfall is this is Microsoft's first $70 game if you don't have Game Pass and things like that. So uh, his full quote said, I'm disappointed. I'm upset with myself. I kind of revisit our process. I think back to the announcement of 60 frames per second, then we weren't shipping 60 frames per second. That was our punch in the chin, rightfully, a couple of weeks ago, unquote. So, obviously, he admits the game didn't get what they wanted critically, things like that. I heard the game is, I have personally heard the game is absolute dog shit. I wasn't really interested in it to begin with. I don't really play a lot of zombie Marvel or vampire games, especially like 4v1 games and... Or games like, it's not even 4v1, but it's like team-up games like that. I don't have a lot of friends that play Xbox in general or gaming in general anymore. So that, that's, that's hard. But it was Arcane Austin. And things are starting to come out. So Redfall was obviously in development before Microsoft purchased Bethesda. We've learned now that they didn't really help with Redfall. And they kind of threw all their eggs in one basket with Starfield. On the same podcast, Phil Spencer said, quote, When we acquire studios, there are games that are in development. And then there are things that are either really early in development or not even conceived yet. I think we need to improve in engaging with games that are midway through production when they become part of Xbox. We didn't do a good job early on in engaging Arcane Austin to really help them understand what it meant to be part of Xbox and part of first party and use some of our internal resources to help them move along that journey even faster. 
when we left them to work on the game, unquote. Uh, he followed it up with, but when Xbox game, quote, but when Xbox Game Studios had Matt Booty and ZeniMax president Jamie Letter sit down, I think we can engage earlier with our different studios. And I do think there's a difference when we come in and the creative is already set on a game. And that's not washing our hands. Every game we ship from our teams is an Xbox game, so we take full responsibility for it. Um, unquote. Uh, essentially, they... Um, they they kind of let Redfall just go to die. They didn't really care about it, I don't think. It, it It's obvious that they wanted to make sure Starfield was going to be the golden goose because it's the first new IP from Bethesda proper in quite a while and from Todd Howard. So it, it's going to be a big deal. It, he, Todd Howard is promising the moon, essentially, right? And are we going to get the moon or are we going to get a, a comet, a small meteor? But I, I get it. Right, they want the the Starfield is going to be that that thing that they want to be to make the most money. So it it, it makes sense that they're going to throw their whole weight behind it. So it, it it's a, a give and take kind of thing, right? It's like obviously they can't put full support behind every game, but they got to pick and choose. And unfortunately, even though they kind of pushed a lot behind Redfall recently, they still kind of let it go out and 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 die. <laughs> but that's not the only thing Phil talked about during the podcast, uh, the X-Cast, I should say. He also obviously got candid about the CMA rejection of the Activision Blizzard deal that Xbox is trying to do. Uh, Spencer said, quote, The CMA decision was disappointing. I've been talking to that group for coming up on a year. They've defined a market of cloud gaming that in my mind doesn't really exist yet today. But they have a point of view that maybe we have a lead in a market that is just forming and that, and that this content could somehow prohibit others from competing in that market, unquote. Again, we talked about how the CMA, the, the Competition Markets Authority in the UK, uh, one of the few countries to block the Activision Blizzard deal, uh, did it on the basis of cloud gaming. It doesn't really make sense. Cloud gaming is still a very, very small thing. And the fact that Microsoft technically owns most of it is just because they were the first, right? So to block a company on the grounds because they were the first to market with a product and claiming they have an unfair advantage is a little ridiculous, in my opinion. Now, they're going to fight it, and we'll talk about that uh, next, actually. Microsoft and Xbox have hired the Queen's former... Uh, lawyer, yeah, that's right, the Queen's former lawyer to help them fight the CMA deal. Uh, well, not Xbox, sorry, Activision has. So Activision and Xbox will fight the CMA, appeal the CMA, CMA deal separately, and Activision has retained the Queen's former lawyer. So <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. Uh, they... So he handled cases for the UK Parliament and Queen Elizabeth, um, per that. So Lord David Panic, KC, which means King's Counsel, will represent the appeal for Activision Blizzard to the Competition Appeal Tribunal. Uh, Microsoft, like I said, also uh, plans to do with a parallel uh, appeal, but they will be using UK lawyer Daniel Beard, KC, also King's Counsel. This is uh, now two weeks after what happened, we'll see how things progress. 
Uh, we're heard, we've heard China is supposed to issue their ruling within the next few weeks. Apparently they are on board with the deal as well. The, the European Union is expected to issue their results very shortly, and the U.S. is expected to soon as well, as the deal was announced just over a year and a half ago and was ex expected to close about now. So we'll see what happens, though. Moving on, how about this? Uh, Twelve years after they were lost, uh, some Pokemon anime episodes have been found. Uh, in 2011, there was a major earthquake and tsunami that hit Japan, and during that time is when production was halt seemingly halted on the Pokemon anime, and a few of the episodes that were being worked on at that time have been found. They've been lost for 12 years now. Uh, I think it was, a f I don't remember the, the number of episodes, but they were uh, pertained to the black and white season of the Pokemon anime around the black and white games. And uh, while they've been released in Japanese, some fans have worked to uh, translate them into English for English viewers. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. They were found 12 years later, so they're not lost to uh, the ether anymore. How about this? Hogwarts Legacy has earned a billion dollars. So much for, you know... Not agreeing with with uh, J.K. Rowling, right? Because clearly, not people were not going to buy Hogwarts Legacy. <laughs> Funny, that number is expected to grow with the upcoming release of both the PS4 and Xbox One versions coming very shortly, and of course the Switch version to follow sometime after that. But yes, Hogwarts Legacy has earned a billion dollars just two and a half months after release. Not a lot of games always hit that number, so. Riot Games has announced that following a lawsuit, they will be compensating female employees. Over 1,500 Riot Games and hundreds of Activision Blizzard workers have received compensation uh, after both companies settled lawsuits for gender discrimination, workplace harassment, uh, and similar things going on in the workplace. Uh, this is via Axios. So, uh, in a court filing by Rust Consulting, they are the ones who handled the, the settlement process. Uh, this is a workers' compensation payout coming from a pool of $100 million. So, all 1,548 claimants will receive a payment ranging from $2,500 to $5,000, and they can get up to additional damages up to 40,000 total. So it also depends on if they were contractor or full-time staff, length of time at the company, things like that. Apparently seven people have opted out. This is stemming from a lawsuit that was started in 2018 when two employees, one was current, one was a former, sued the company following the release of an investigation that Kotaku put out um, talking about all the negative things, harassment going on at the company. So the lawsuit at the time of the following said, quote, like many of Riot Games' female employees, plaintiffs have been denied equal pay and found their careers stifled because they are women. Moreover, plaintiffs have also been seen their working conditions negative, negatively impacted because of the ongoing sexual harassment, misconduct, and bias which predominate the sexually hostile working environment of Riot Games, unquote. So 
That's yikes. Big yikes. Activision Blizzard has yet to pay out compensation to hundreds of, and of current and former employees after their lawsuit was settled. And uh, Axios also reports that, ooh, there was pregnancy discrimination, sexual harassment, retaliation, and constructive discharge. Eee, that's not good. Uh, they were being paid five to six figure, figure settlements. Wow. That is nuts, man. So, I mean, Riot's got the money, but that's a lot of people that were mistreated. That's disgusting. That's horrible. I don't, I, like, I, how do you move on to like a fun topic after that? Um, we're going to try, but uh, the remastered version of Marvel's Spider-Man can now be purchased as a standalone game. You do not need to get the Miles Morales on PS5 to get it. So if you've been holding out for the remastered version, you can finally get that. Uh, David Harbour has opened up about working on the Gran Turismo movie. Yes, I know we always forget that the Gran Turismo movie is a thing and it is coming out. But in he was speaking to... Uh, IGN with director Neil Blomkamp and it says quote when I got handed the script I was like how would you be able to make a film about Gran Turismo that makes no sense it's like a racing simulator unquote that was what Blomkamp said and then he followed it up with quote Jan's story is unbelievable because he went from playing Gran Turismo in his parents house on a console like a driving system console that he built to placing third at Le Mans it was this very organic merging of a video game backbone with a real-life, real-world setup and characters that work organically, unquote. So if, if you don't know, the Gran Turismo movie is going to tell the real-life story of a real race car driver and how he essentially became a real driver by playing Gran Turismo. And the, the movie will feature the game being played as a racing sim. So David Harbour said the same thing. Um, he himself is a gamer and he said that quote, never been interested unquote in Gran Turismo. And he knows that video game movies always tend to not be good. Uh, but he followed up with saying quote, I'm really happy with the approach that they took to this because I think we all know, unfortunately, I mean, it's just a thing. Video game movies don't work. There's a lot that have failed. Part of that reason is because what we love about video games is that we're the player playing them. We're controlling the action. We don't necessarily want a director and a team of people to control our point of view to tell us what the story is within it. We ourselves want to carve that story for ourselves, unquote. Uh, again, this is all an interview with, with IGN. But obviously he gets it this time. He, he followed up with that saying, quote, This is great because the video game is a part of the movie. I mean, it's about a guy who played video games very intensely and then took that video game experience and put it on the track. It really becomes, to me, like a great sports movie, unquote. So, it's not really a video game movie in the truest sense, but it's going to be similar, I, I, I guess. I still can't believe it's a Gran Turismo movie. It's like that Need for Speed movie that came out. And sticking with the Sony studios here... Sony has announced they will be closing Pixel Opus, uh, one of their studios, which they've been going on a buying spree, and now they're, they're closing one they've owned for a long time, which is shitty. Um, 
we learned that Street Fighter VI will be having an open beta just a few weeks before its launch. Uh, that will take place May 19th through the 21st, where you'll be able to try out Street Fighter VI before it officially launches in June. Uh, Nintendo has announced that Metroid Prime Remaster has sold a million copies since its release in February. And Pokemon Scarlet and Violet have sold 20 million copies collectively. That's good for a game that was pretty much broken for its first few months. It doesn't have Pokemon Home integration yet, which we're learning will have backwards compatibility, which is pretty cool. But, <laughs> yeah, 20 million copies. Uh, we've also learned that, no surprise here, but Switch sales have, have started to decrease, right? I mean, what, we're six or seven years into the life cycle on the Switch? It, it, it Obviously, they're not going to be the high numbers they were for the last few years, especially with, with the pandemic numbers, everyone buying Switches to play Animal Crossing. But, uh, per the financial earnings, the Switch sold 17.97 million units in the 22-23 financial year which is below the 23.6 million units sold between 21 and 22 financial year and 2020-21's financial year of 28.83 million units. Uh, so now the Switch has told, sold a total of 125 million units, which uh, is up from what was reported in February when it became the third best-selling console of all time. That is nuts. That includes the uh, regular Switch, the Switch OLED, and the Switch Lite, which is, yeah, its seventh year on the market. Uh, they are forecasting 15 million sales for this financial year. Obviously, they don't know how that will, will help. Obvi and who knows what's going to happen with uh, the Breath of the Wild sequel coming very, very soon, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, which could... Interestingly enough, up sale numbers. You could see sale numbers go up again when Pokemon DLC drops this year. Who knows? Uh, we've also learned that a Switch follow-up console, a Switch Pro, the next Switch, Switch 2, whatever you want to call it, uh, is not coming anytime in this fiscal year. Uh, per Nintendo, via Bloomberg, uh, president of Nintendo, Shuntaro Furukawa, said uh, to investors, there will not be a new home console release anytime before April of 2024. So don't expect a new Nintendo console anytime between now and the end of April one year from now. So don't 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 get things twisted because you might be overestimating or being a little overzealous in that. Um, what else is going on? Uh, we've learned about Starfield's, uh, ESRB rating, which is going to be rated M for mature. No surprise there. Most Bethesda games are, but it is for drug use, in-game purchases, and implied sex. So the game will not show sex. It will talk about it. I guess you can have jetpack sex, whatever that means. But the game is rated M for Mature, no surprise there. Uh, we will learn more about it at the Starfield Direct happening one month from today in June following the Xbox Game Showcase. Bungie has announced that they've won another lawsuit against cheating, cheating makers, cheat makers, whatever you want to call them, 
Bungie has been awarded $6.7 million in a new lawsuit. Uh, $6,700,973.34 in a default ruling uh, given by U.S. District Judge Tana Lin. Uh, via Axios' Stephen Totillo, reported by GameSpot, quote, Bungie wins another cheating lawsuit, $6.7 million award against Lava Cheats, which it sued in 2021. Defendant never responded to the suit, was a default judgment. Bungie said the cheats had been downloaded more than 1,700 times since it spent $2 million battling cheat makers, unquote. So the Lava Cheats never responded, so how are they going to get their money? Um, that, uh, that's strange. They also won $240,000 to cover legal costs and attorney fees. And, uh, yeah, the, the owner of Lava Cheats is, lives in India. So how do you, how do they get their money? I don't I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. How do you win a a lawsuit against someone who didn't show up or respond? Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um I don't know. Uh Game Freak and Private Division have announced a new partnership. They're going to be working on a game called Project Bloom, or at least that's what the working title is. It is a AAA action adventure game. And uh, they're calling it an ambitious adventure game. And director of Game Freak, Kota Furushima, said that, quote, we're thrilled to have the opportunity to create new IP that is bold and tonally different from our prior work. From the beginning, Private Division was the publisher we wanted to work with on our new game. Their track record and global expertise gave us all the confidence to create a sweeping new action game that we can't wait to share more about in the future, unquote. Uh, Private Division head Michael Waros added that they are honored, quote-unquote, to be working with Game Freak. And I don't remember what Private Division has worked on before. Let me check that out. So Private Division totally forgot that they are part of Take-Two Interactive. And a little uh, idiot of me, they, you know, published Hades, which I happen to love. And they've also uh, published the Kerbal Space Program games, Ali Ali World. They published The Outer Worlds, technically, before Obsidian was purchased by Xbox. So it makes sense that they are, um, you know, they published Hades, right? They didn't develop it. But Private Division is part of... Um, Take two interactive, like Rockstar. So they got some money and, and clout behind them. So it makes sense that uh, Game Freak would want to work with them. We've also learned a lot about EA uh, as their earnings have come in. And EA is doing surprisingly well compared to some other video game uh, publishers and developers and things like that. They earned nearly $2 billion in net bookings in quarter four alone. FIFA 23 took in the most money, obviously with it coming out with the World Cup, Ultimate Team, things like that. EA reported record net bookings of $1.95 billion for the quarter ending March 31st, 2023, which was 11% up year over year. This is all from live service games, which are dying everywhere else except for EA, apparently. That's also going to be the last... FIFA, remember, it's going to be switching over to EA Sports FC uh, since they lost the FIFA license. 
So that could be part of why it went up so much. Um, yeah, that uh, Apex Legends was a big part of it. Uh, net booking growth up in quarter four. Sims 4, 70 million people are playing the Sims 4. $1.87 billion in net profit um, or net revenue, $7.45 billion for the full year. That is nuts. It's expecting quarter one to be between 1.8 and 1.93 due to the release of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. That is insane, dude. EA is killing it, which led CEO Andrew Wilson uh, to obviously be interviewed and asked questions. He... This is hilarious. He said that not worried about the Activision Blizzard deal at all. And obviously everything that's going on. Um, EA, he did say, quote, Microsoft's biggest partner. Uh, they are the number one publisher on their platform, unquote. That's what he said. So he followed up with saying, quote, so whether that deal goes through or not is not really material to us broadly. We think we have the scale. Again, back to our network, our IP, and our talent to continue to navigate the future and lead the future of entertainment and compete in a marketplace regardless of whether that deal goes through or not, unquote. He also said, quote, I think we have tremendous assets with respect to the future of entertainment, but as it stands today, we're indifferent as to whether that goes through or not. We think we have an incredible strategy, we feel like we have an incredible opportunity, and whether it goes through or not, we'll continue to be the number one publisher on the Microsoft platform, unquote. No lies there. Obviously, the EA... Um, I don't remember what their their thing is called. They, it's partnered with, um, it's partnered with the Game Pass, so you get EA and Game Pass, and obviously EA dominates because they make m more sports games than anyone else, right? With the exception of Two K, Two K and EA are the sport game leaders. They obviously don't care about the Activision Blizzard deal, yes, because Activision is is big, but in reality, EA is bigger. EA makes more money off FIFA and Madden alone. They don't care about Call of Duty. Yes, they do because Battlefield, but in reality, EA is doing just fine and isn't going to care if that deal goes through or not. Their partnership and, and work with Xbox is not going to change, and they know that. Andrew Wilson also got candid about AI. Surprisingly, obviously, he's in the top of the company and wants to make the most money and also not spend the most money. And he said, quote, AI is one of the greatest benefits, or sorry, uh, let, me, let me fix this. Um, the games industry would probably be, quote, one of the greatest beneficiaries of AI, unquote. He also, though, was a little weary of it, quote, the fear of displacement of the workforce is something we read a lot about and we talk a lot about. And as we think about every revolution over the course of time, from the agricultural revolution to the industrial revolution and on, there's been displacement of the workforce in the near term. And then meaningful increases in workforce opportunities over the longer term. Our hope is that AI represents the same opportunity and we're working very closely inside our company to ensure that our people benefit in that way and actually facilitate them to do more things unquote so obviously it it's um a lot of people are worried about it in terms of art and work and things like that uh he then passed it on to um let me see what was it uh ceo laura meal 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 
who said, quote, So in game development, you would imagine the velocity of content, creative iteration, is going to be advantaged greatly by having really smart content tools. Andrew mentioned creator content, lifelike animation, real text to speech for players, and what that will mean for them and the experience they have. As we think about live game support at scale, there's going to be some really great imaginary imagery detection, issue detection, economic modeling that we're going to be able to apply as we continue to grow these connected ecosystems. So we're pretty optimistic and excited and inspired about this new wave of AI, unquote. Uh, you know what? It, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting what's going to happen with how J chat GPT and, and image generators and things like that affect games. I mean, we already saw it in uh, Trover, or not Trover, um, what's that, the, the high on life, right? There's a lot of AI-generated stuff. AI-generated imagery is not perfect yet. There's still a lot of kinks it needs to work out, but it it, it could get there. Text-to-speech still isn't great. It, it takes a lot of information from the internet and puts it together what it seems like might be right, but it's still not perfect. Can it get there? I don't know. Will it work perfectly for video games? I, I I don't know. I am I for it? Not really. We'll see though. We'll see what what happens because ultimately a human still is going to create the best possible version of something, right? AI can never mimic true creativity ever. It it still needs input from people. So we'll see where it goes from here. Uh, speaking of active or act, EA doing well. And whereas Ubisoft is not. Ubisoft has decided to lay off. It's small, but still not, but still an issue. They've laid off 60 people uh, at two of their offices, one in the UK, one in the Carolinas, essentially gutting their customer relations team, which of all things you want to keep around, <laughs> speaking as a customer relations, customer experience person myself, <laughs> That's something you normally want to keep, right? You want that relationship with your customer to be strong, to be good. And if you gut the team and switch over to like automated responses, people aren't going to be happy. Uh, we've also learned that Bravely Default will be shutting down online services on their Nintendo 3DS games. So if you're pl still playing Bravely Default games, that's going to be happening soon. And uh, our last gaming story today, not nothing major... But uh, we're hearing that Carl Urban is deep into talks about playing Johnny Cage in the Marvel or Marvel in the Mortal Kombat sequel expected sometime in the next few years. Obviously, we don't know. I don't know if it's officially been greenlit or not. We don't know the full story. Johnny Cage was teased at the end of the first one, but. Carl Urban is allegedly in talks to play Johnny Cage in the Mortal Kombat sequel. That is something I never expected to read, and it's something I'm very, very excited about. If, if, big grain of salt here, if it becomes true. But that is it for gaming news. Let's head on over to the TV world and see what's going inside the silver screen. No, wait, that's movies. Inside the box. So, obviously a lot of shows are getting canceled or renewed at this time of year. The CBS is one of the first networks to announce uh, their cancellations. 
and they've already re renewed a show they canceled. <laughs> uh, SWAT was canceled uh, last week, despite being one of their most popular shows. I actually very much enjoy it. And one of their highest viewership shows canceled because they didn't want to pay. So it's not produced by them. It's produced by Sony. Costs were going up. They didn't want to pay for it. Shamar Moore, the star, posted on Instagram, got people riled up enough for CBS to uncancel SWAT and give it a 13-episode final season, which is wild to me. But in its wake, they canceled True Lies, which, no surprise there, I think everyone hated that show because it doesn't hold a candle to the, the movie. <laughs> and they also followed it up with canceling East New York, one of their other police procedural shows. Uh, so that we've learned from CBS. We don't still don't know yet what's going on with Fox shows, ABC shows, NBC or CW just yet, especially with the writer's strike ongoing. Uh, the One Piece Netflix adaptation is still coming. Uh, don't expect it just yet, though. Uh, creator Ichiro Oda has issued a letter to fans saying, quote, Considering my expected lifespan, I believe that this is the last chance to bring One Piece to the entire world. If we're going to do it, I want to be able to supervise things while I'm still active. That's why I agreed to the live-action adaptation of One Piece back in 2016. We are in this together. Thank you, Ichiro Oda, for your trust. We can't wait for the world to see what we've created. Uh, he also then said, quote, Since then, Netflix has committed enormous resources to, pr to the production. It was announced that the show will launch in 2023, but they promised that we won't launch until I'm satisfied, unquote. He said that while he is involved and other cultures are involved, that their different opinions and skill sets meant that, quote, sometimes it could be frustrating for both sides, quote, unquote. So he also followed up saying, quote, each and every entity involved is working in sync. We're finally here, he, he wrote, unquote. Do we know if the show's actually coming? Not yet. Uh, but it does seem like things are moving at a better pace than expected. Uh, Oda is heavily involved, and it looks like they want to make sure it fits what fans come to expect from One Piece, given that it's one of the few anime with over a thousand episodes. It's still wild to me how many episodes of One Piece there are. Um, Rings of Power, it's been announced, will still continue, continue production on Season 2, despite the showrunners leaving for the strike. Uh, they did leave detailed notes that doesn't count as writing on how to finish the show. So, makes sense. I wonder how that will affect it, though, moving forward. Uh, we've learned that Yellowstone will end with Season 5 in November, uh, but they did announce a sequel is planned for Yellowstone at some point in the near future. It does have two prequels, so it makes sense to have a follow-up show. How about this? Obviously, everyone hates ads and the growing presence of ads everywhere on television and everything else. But it looks like we might be getting something different. Uh, Ilya Posen, who is one of the co-founders of Pluto TV, which is a free ad-supported service, speaking of ads, is working with a company to build a ad-supported television. So the, the TV would essentially be free, but it will have ads. Um, wh why, how it will be different is it will allegedly have a second 
screen attached to the television, almost like a sound bar, and it will display advertisements all the time, which is they said would be the height of a cell phone. So think of a long, six-inch tall screen at the bottom of a TV displaying ads, almost like a like a. I'm trying to think of something like like a a top bar or a bottom bar on a website, right? Like a a a header or a footer ad on a website, which not too bad. It, they said it can display news and things like that, but it's going to be called TV, which is the name of the company. But it will have ads uh, that are relevant to what you're watching. So it'll have widgets for weather, ticker tape style news headlines, sports scores. They want to work with Bloomberg, CNN, and ESPN. There's nothing known about it yet. We don't know what it will look like, anything like that. The TV will be called Telly. And again, like I said, it will technically be free. Uh, no smart TV or anything like that, but could come with a smart dongle. Future TV? I don't know. More ads, though. That's for damn sure. Um, Star Wars Day, May the 4th be with you, was on Thursday. And we got some Star Wars news. I'll talk a little bit about the TV, and then we'll talk about the movie stuff in a bit. But, yes, yeah, Star Wars Day, celebration of all things Star Wars every year. Obviously, May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. Revenge of the 6th, Revenge of the Sith, things like that. And uh, we learned some things about Skeleton Crew. It will Skeleton Crew is the new show coming to Disney Plus, based around Star Wars, starring Jude Law. Uh, despite being a more kid-friendly show, it will still have real stakes. It will still have real consequences. It will matter to the world. Um, it will matter to the ongoing story being told in The Mandalorian and Ahsoka and things like that. So, do not think it is a kid show. Um, I mean, I still watch most Star Wars stuff, even if it's geared towards kids, but Star Wars Resistance, God, that was terrible, and I'm not watching the new show for, like, toddlers, that's different, but it is still going to matter, and obviously it's Jude Law, so it sounds great. Also, we got Star Wars Visions Volume 2, this time instead of being uh, several different shorts from Japanese-only studios, these came from studios all around the globe. And there were a ton of stop-motion episodes, or three. Star Wars Visions Volume 2 is by far leaps and bounds better than Season 1. Some of the anime, I couldn't even sit and finish. Um, some of the stories were so bad, they were so cheesy, they were so lame. Don't get me wrong, some of them were beautiful and fun and fun to watch in, in Volume 1. But Volume 2, every single one, even ones that were a little more outlandish were great to watch from start to finish. They were all almost about 20 minutes long. My favorite is probably, uh, let me look, the Artemin one was really good. Artemin is the studio behind Wallace and Gromit. They did a Star Wars short. Uh, honestly, my favorite has to be the Journey to the Dark Head, which is from a South Korean studio, uh, followed up with the Bandits of Golak, which is 88 pictures from India. So it was a an Indian um, an Indian uh, focused story, which was great. You got to see an Indian based uh, Sith in or Inquisitor, which was awesome. The Sith one was great. That was from Spain. 
Screechers Reach, which is Cartoon Saloon, which is an Oscar-nominated studio from Ireland. That was actually fun. In the Stars, which is a Chilean one, also great. Um, the Spy Dancer was from France. That one was gorgeous to watch. The Pit was different. Uh, that was the Art Stagio and Lucasfilm, Japan and U.S. And then the Ao song from Triggerfish, which is South African. That was actually really fun too. But honestly, they were really, really good. I cannot tell you the, the you need to watch them because compared to the first season, like you you'd think that the first season came out like a decade ago. That that's the quality and the difference. Um, it, it it's so different. There don't get me wrong. There were some good ones in the first season, but. Some of them were, were just awful. 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 But the, the makeup for it was so much better. Season 2 is more canon, I think. Um, and, and it fits more with the timeline that we're used to. It's just... I, I can't believe that this is what the difference is. And these worldwide studios... They've already greenlit a season three. I hope they go to more worldwide studios. I cannot wait. Maybe they'll go with more... Um, they'll give more American studios a chance in season three. I'm not sure. Obviously, they want to keep it to, you know, Lucasfilm. But it... it, it I am... I almost want to go watch it again, right? Like, that's not something I, I always do. But, whoo, so good. So, the writer's strike is going on, right? We all know that. Well, now there's a slew of shows that have currently been affected by the writer's strike and have halted production. Stranger Things Season 5, the final season, as the Duffer Brothers join the strike. Apple Severance Season 2, production has been halted. Daredevil Born Again, production has been halted. Uh, a Game of Thrones spinoff, The Hedge Knight Story, Dunkin' Egg, whatever you want to call it. The writer's room literally had to stop working. Abbott Elementary, Big Mouth's new season, Cobra Kai, Evil on CBS, Hacks on HBO, Loot, uh, the Apple Plus show with Maya Rudolph, uh, all late night shows have essentially stopped, Saturday Night Live, uh, Wonder Man for Marvel as well, so that's two Marvel shows, and Yellow Jackets. Production has been halted on all of those shows due to the writer's strike, so expect delays for all of them. Uh, we finally learned more about the Babylon 5 animated movie that's uh, coming out. It will feature the full cast of the show, including Bruce, Bruce Boxlitner uh, and some other characters that actually left the show before it finished airing. So yes, Babylon 5's full cast will appear in the animated film. Uh, Good Omens Season 2 drops on July 28th on Amazon. And we've now learned that Jack Ryan will end with Season 4. Uh, when that starts streaming on Amazon on June 30th, they filmed season three and four back to back. Sucks that that show's ending. I really, really enjoy um, Jack Ryan. Uh, and then last bit of movie uh, TV news here: uh, Bob Iger has announced that uh, in an earnings call for Disney, that Disney Plus will start adding Hulu content uh, to. Them for them to bolster a one-app experience is what they're calling it. Uh, he said, quote, 
While we continue to offer Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus as the standalone options, this is a logical progression of our offerings that will provide greater opportunities for advertisers, while giving bundled subscribers access to more robust and streamlined content, resulting in greater audience engagement and ultimately leading to a more unified streaming experience, unquote. It will launch in the U.S. at a later date, uh, no word yet, and... Uh, the ad-free subscription plan, which is currently $10.99 a month, will go up. And it's very similar to what's going on with HBO Max and Discovery Plus as they move over to Max. And no word yet on if Disney will plan to buy out NBC Universal's uh, 33% stake in Hulu. Or if Disney will keep Hulu or what's going on with that. But... Uh, they also announced some content would be removed, but they haven't said what or which or when. Um, but that is it for TV news. Let's head on over to Hollywood for the movie news. Oh, actually, before I go, this is breaking news technically today. Uh, came out late. Paramount, in restructuring and layoffs, has decided to end MTV News. Uh, MTV News was famous for being a news outlet that a lot of Gen Xers and, and um, older millennials use to get their news from MTV. Not traditional news sources, but Kurt Loder, uh, Carson Daly. Uh, MTV News was a staple. I remember watching it a lot as a kid as I watched more MTV than I do now. Um, but yeah, M MTV News is no more. Um, pour one out for what was a great institution for a while. Um, but now let's head on over to the movie world, shall we? We'll stick with the May the 4th Star Wars news. And no surprise here, but Kathleen Kennedy wants to uh, fix Star Wars movie releases. And I, I've said this before. Star Wars movies had a bit of a fatigue by the time Rise of Skywalker came out because it was coming out every year. Um, unlike Marvel movies, and I've heard other people say this too, Marvel movies are different, right? Every movie is different. It, it, you can have a thriller, a spy film, uh, a horror movie. They're, they're, every single one is different. So there, there's not going to be the same type of fatigue you would get with Star Wars, which is very insular, very the same. It's all the same characters. They're, every story has to fit Star Wars, right? And, you know, it used to be every two years we would get a Star Wars movie. And then between trilogies, it was like 30 years, right? But then Disney bought it and wanted their money back right away. Um, but Kathleen Kennedy has opened up about how she was kind of forced to put out Force Awakens sooner than maybe she wanted to. Um, and she, she followed up with this, quote, I've often brought up Bond. That's every three or four years, and there wasn't this pressure to feel like you have to have a movie every year. I feel that was very important to Star Wars. We have to eventize this. It's much better to tell the truth, that we're going to make these movies when they're ready to be made and release them when they're ready to be released, unquote. This is something I'm happy about, right? It's like Star Wars is supposed to be an event, not every single year. And then you have pieces of shit like Solo and Rise of Skywalker come out. And then even you could argue, you know, yes, you have Rogue One and The Last Jedi, which were great. But then you have, like I said, Solo, which got crapped out and had to get a replacement. Same with Rise of Skywalker. And then I, I would argue Force Awakens, too. Like, I, I, I felt that Force Awakens was a bit rushed when it was announced and came out right away. 
Um, I didn't like that all the, the whole trilogy wasn't written at one time together. That they, they should have planned that story out from the start and you had all these different things. You had The Force Awakens being a safe movie, too much like A New Hope. Like, like it, it, everything happened so much. Um, and, and I get it, and I think Kathleen was a little frustrated. She also said, quote, What we're exploring is the evolution of the Jedi. We're going very far back. We're looking at the present, and now we're moving 15 years after The Rise of Skywalker. The First Order has fallen, the Jedi are in chaos. There's even a question of how many exist anymore, and Rey's building the new Jedi Order based on the text that she was given and that Luke imparted on her, unquote. So, honestly, I really hope that this first movie doesn't come out for a couple more years, and it probably won't. Uh, the Taika movie is supposed to come out next year. I don't know if that's going to happen. Honestly, if the, the next Star Wars movie doesn't come out until, like, 2026, I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, yes, it's fine on TV. You can keep it doing that without hurting the event nature of of Star Wars, right? Because those aren't huge, epic things. They're a fun story told episodically. Yes, maybe switch to like one Star Wars show a year. I, I can be fine with that as well, um, because then it's still not overload. It's not Star Wars overload. The movies, they almost beating your head with it. And I'm saying this as someone who loves Star Wars, right? But you need to give it time to breathe, to grow, Um you don't want to be inundated with stuff because then it's like, bro, take a breather. Let shit, like, grow. Um, again, it, it used to be three years in between, right? A New Hope, 77. Return of the Jedi, or three years, not two years. Uh, then you had Empire Strikes Back, 1980, and Return of the Jedi, 1983. Then 99, uh, The Phantom Menace, 2002, Attack of the Clones, 2005, uh, Revenge of the Sith, right? Then you had a 10-year gap. Obviously, the Clone Wars was on TV and stuff in between. Um, but then you had like a two-year gap between movies, and you had Rogue One and Solo in between. So it was like boom, 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 boom. And they were all over the place. And it, it makes sense. Like, yes, eventize them. Again, like I said, if, if it's like three or four years between then it's almost a decade between Star Wars movies, and I would honestly prefer that. I would honestly prefer that. Keep it on TV in the meantime, and only like do films for big event stuff, and it makes sense. Star Wars can be draining. It can have fatigue, because unlike um, Marvel, they're, they're the same. They're, not, they're different, yes, telling different stories, but they're not different genre-wise. And finally, on Thursday, Carrie Fisher finally got her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Well-deserved and way later than it really should have been. Uh, moving on to non-Star Wars stuff, let's uh, talk about what we've learned about Doctor Strange 2. Apparently, oh, wait, one more Star Wars story. I don't know why I forgot this. Uh, don't expect a Snyder Cut quote-unquote, version of Rogue One, Tony Gilroy has said. Obviously, he was the second director on it, not Gareth Edwards, but there will never be a director's cut of Rogue One because he says, quote, speaking to The Hollywood Reporter, quote, the best possible version, uh, that was the absolute best possible version you could ever have, quote-unquote. Um, in response to a uh, director's cut, he said, quote, 
Oh my God, no, no. I'm not going to go into any more detail. But the more authority that you hear talk, hear people talk about online about what happened on that movie, the less they know. That's all that needs to be said. Maybe someday, but no. That's the absolutely best version of that movie that you could possibly imagine in the time that was given, unquote. Like, yes, I agree. Um, and yes, it went under extensive reshoots. And it changed quite a bit. You can see that in trailers, right? Um, but... It was, uh, there, there is, there's no alternate cut. I don't think that's ever company, coming. Uh, Tony Gilroy is obviously helping make sure Andor Season 2 gets done properly, even though he stepped away from writing duties because of the strike. But, no, Rogue One's great. It doesn't need to change. We don't need a director's cut. Um, while I would like to see those alternate scenes as deleted scenes, I love Rogue One. I love it. And we all know that. I've said it multiple times. But... Let's go over to the other side of the, the Disney world and look at the Marvel Universe, the MCU. Uh, we've learned that the uh, writer's room of Doctor Strange 2 were not able to finish watching WandaVision um, because it hadn't been finished yet. So <laughs> um, they essentially had to work with what they had, which is... Kind of explains like the tonal shift of Wanda between WandaVision and Doctor Strange 2. Um, so speaking to Vanity Fair, Elizabeth Olsen said, quote, It's a similar arc in Multiverse of Madness that it is in WandaVision. There could be parallel stories being told there of dealing with grief and loss. Well, I proposed that to the writers of Multiverse. I said, do you know what we're doing in WandaVision? Have you seen it? And no, they had not seen it because it wasn't finished yet, unquote. Which is kind of strange. Um... She also said, quote, had to try and play it differently. I had to tack the same themes in order for it to be interesting for me, I think, and potentially for the audience. I just had to come at it from a different point of view, unquote. Which makes sense, um, because, like, she had this growth in WandaVision that seemed to be completely gone when we got to Multiverse of Madness. Um, that's, that's, uh, very interesting, um... There, she made fun of some of the dialogue though too that was in Wandavision, but it's it's interesting to hear that now. But it, it it's glaringly obvious when you think about it between the two projects. Uh, we've also learned that Guardians of the Galaxy won the weekend, two hundred eighty-two million dollars uh, overall worldwide, and one hundred fourteen million dollars in North America, making it one of the highest debuts. Um, and we also learned that Blade is officially on hold. Uh, it's one of the few movies to be affected by the writer's strike currently. It's actually the only mo- major movie so far to be affected by the writer's strike uh, as Marvel tries to keep Phase 5 going. But uh, we'll talk about Guardians, my review, in just a few minutes. Uh, we've also learned from Disney CEO... Bob Iger in regards to AI and how it could affect the industry. Um, again, speaking on the earnings call, uh, he said, quote, It's pretty clear that AI development represents some interest, pretty interesting opportunities for us and substantial benefits. In fact, we're already starting to use AI to create some efficiencies and ultimately to better serve the consumers. Getting closer to the customer is something that is real good of our goal of ours, and we think that AI will provide some great opportunities to do that. 
Um, but it's also clear that AI is going to be highly disruptive and it could be extremely difficult to manage, particularly from an IP management perspective. I can tell you that our legal team is working overtime already to try and come to grips with what could be some of the challenges here, and we're certainly not the only ones uh, across, not only our, across not only our industry, but industries. So I have to say overall I'm bullish about the prospects because I think they will create efficiencies and ways to use for us to basically provide better services to customers. On the other hand, I think that there's a lot we'll have to contend with that will be quite disruptive and quite challenging. Getting into more specifics is not something I'm really prepared to do right now, unquote. So, obviously he knows how it can affect their IPs and things like that based on people creating images and stuff like that. Um, what's protected, what's not. And it, it's interesting, you have two major CEOs across two different industries talking about AI. One wanting AI to help, you know, with game development with Andrew Wilson at EA and Bob Iger, the head of one of the biggest entertainment conglomerates in the world, being, hey, how do I use this to help customers, but also to make sure our creative stuff isn't damaged, right? And it's two very interesting different opinions, both in the entertainment space, but two different sides of the entertainment space and how that AI can really affect uh, entertainment, the entertainment industry moving forward. Um, but I'm going to lean more with Bob Iger on this because I, I get what he's saying. AI has very useful things, and it could also be very damaging and can hurt things in certain ways and not be good for consumers or entertainment and things like that. Um, so... Uh, we've learned that Burger King will be releasing a red and black burger in uh, collaboration with the Spider-Verse movie. Uh, we'll have a red bun and black seeds. Interesting. Better than like an all-black burger that some companies do. Beetlejuice 2 is official now. Michael Keaton will return. Jenna Ortega is confirmed to be playing the daughter of Winona Ryder's character. And it has a release date of September 6th, 2024. So that's official. Um, will we get a sequel to the Dungeons and Dragons movie? I don't know, but the directors have opened up about what could be in a potential sequel. In speaking with Polygon, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly said that, quote, I think probably the owlbear would make a repeat appearance because that's certainly a favorite. I think a lot of people on social media were hungry for a beholder and they probably deserve a beholder if there's a sequel. But beyond that, it's really just going to come from what's the most compelling story to tell, unquote. So, uh, Beholders are very famous in Dungeons & Dragons lore. And uh, they also said they'd want to, quote, see their characters level up, unquote. But I very much enjoyed the movie, and we, we talked about that. Um, and I actually recently started playing Dungeons & Dragons for the first time. I had my first session, rolled characters, all that, so I'm, I'm happy to finally play it. Um, they also spoke more about a sequel saying, quote, the good thing about a sequel is you don't have to spend much screen time introducing the party. The audience knows them, and you can jump into the plot more quickly, and obviously we have great affection for both the actors and these roles that they play, but we'd want to introduce some new figures along the way, and certainly a lot of new monsters, unquote. So, based on the money it made, I, I really do hope it gets a sequel. It probably will, but uh, obviously stick to Nixner News for any announcements that may come out in the future. 
And before we get into the Guardians review, I have one more story here. The CEO of AMC Theaters uh, talks about the strike and how it could affect the movie theater industry. Uh, he said, quote, uh, this is via Deadline, quote, as far as its impact on AMC and the movie industry, if this is a short strike, I don't mean days, I mean months, its impact will mostly be felt on television programming because the movies for 23 and 24 have pretty much been written. In many cases, they've already been filmed, and I think only a very prolonged writer strike would have a material impact, unquote. Uh, he went on to say, quote, we are very sympathetic to the real problem that exists for members of the Writers Guild. Streaming has changed the landscape of television and shaped the economics of what writers earn. We're hopeful that the Hollywood producers and the Writers Guild can work in good faith to craft a solution that is good for all parties, unquote. Obviously, he's going to side with them because they're like pissed at streaming and he's pissed at streaming because that affects his bottom line as well. But no, in reality, if the strike goes a couple months, film, the film industry shouldn't be affected too much. Like he said, most movies coming out the rest of this year and first half of next year are probably in the can, in post-production, um, or are, have already been written, won't need rewrites or anything like that. They're, those are, they're done. They don't need any more. But uh, obviously, if it goes longer than that, the movies that are supposed to come out in the second half of next year are going to be affected um, or get delayed, things like that. So it makes sense that obviously a theater operator is going to get candid about how the writer's strike will affect his business as well, not just movie studios and streaming and things like that. Uh, but that is it for regular Nixner news. Uh, if you guys want to stick around and listen for the Guardians of Review, you can. There will be some spoilers. If not, thank you guys for listening. I will see you guys next week. If not, stick around. Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Well, you still there? Cool. Let's talk about Guardians. I fucking loved it. 100%. 10 out of 10. I'm dropping that number now before we even get into the review. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is hands down the best Marvel movie since Endgame. Hands down. It was so good. And when everyone says it's like the perfect capping to a trilogy, they're not wrong. I am going to agree with that wholeheartedly. There is no way that... Yes, there's parts that are strange or a little disjointed, but overall, it is so fun it is so good the music is great the character growth and development for all of them is a culmination of the three movies right and obviously we get a different Gamora but it works um the movie is very much about Rocket even though Rocket is the Rocket we know and love is in it very little like Bradley Cooper as Rocket doesn't have as many lines as he's had over the last few movies. Um, it opens up with them running nowhere. Uh, if you have not seen the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, I would recommend it because there are some things that set up scenes in this film. Um, but it's essentially them on nowhere running things. Peter is depressed and drunk over losing Gamora, even though she's not gone. Adam Warlock shows up in the movie like almost right away. Like, there's no delay in getting to Adam Warlock. Will Poulter plays him great. Uh, Aisha, uh, the, the head of the Sovereign, way more in this movie than I... More There's more of her in 
Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 than she was in Volume 2. Which is funny because she's kind of like the crux of the... she has She's the crux of the movie in Volume 2, right? She's the, the villain, essentially. Um, the stuff with the High Evolutionary is great. Especially with all the flashbacks with Rocket and him... Um, like learning about his backstory and his friends and why he chose the name Rocket and, and essentially why the High Evolutionary is going after him. Uh, there are parts of this movie that are pushing the limits of PG-13, much like Doctor Strange did. I felt like I was watching a Cronenberg movie a lot. There's like a lot of body horror kind of stuff and, and mangled things and creatures. And it <laughs> it's interesting for sure. Uh, it It is not holding back when it says if you're an animal lover or or you might get squeamish, it, you will. Because there's things that are, are hard to watch um, in the film. Especially if you have issues with like animal torture and stuff. Even though it's not real animals, right? It's all CG and stuff. It, it is um, a somewhat realistic depiction and, and hard. It is hard to watch. There There are things that are written very well. James Gunn knows how to blend music and film together in a way that not a lot of directors do. And the soundtrack is great. I think it's better than Volume 2, personally, uh, because it, it spans generations, right? It's not just 70s, it's not just 80s, things like that. It it goes from the 70s to the, the 2000s, and then the music spread is great. There are... The use of different characters, even minor ones, is is played very well. Um, Nathan Fillion finally gets to show his face in a Guardians movie. Uh, he's great friends with James Gunn, so it's fun to see him interact. And the 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 story, there's like a, a running gag in the movie, like, "Oh, you got an idiot working for you too." It, it's fucking hilarious. Um, we finally have like a blowout fight between Drax and and like. Mantis or and Nebula over like Neb essentially about Mantis and Drax being kind of stupid all the time and it makes sense, but again everyone has this great character growth over the course of the film, understanding who they need to become, who they are, um, even Gamora because it's 2014 Gamora again, but this time she's a Ravager and she's a little harsh. Um, th there's a lot going on but never overwhelming. And the plot, again, revolves around Rocket being hurt by Adam Warlock and them trying to save him. And that's why the... Uh, the um, Why can't I think of his name now? I was just saying it. The, the main villain of the movie, um, the High Evolutionary. And he wants Rocket because Rocket was his greatest like uh, mutation, essentially. Rocket is the only one he's, he's made, created, that could invent, that could put things together, despite all his efforts. And going to Counter-Earth is very strange, seeing all the anthropomorphic animals that we've seen in the trailers. But they're fun and, in, and interesting to interact with. Um, what they do with Nowhere towards the end is great. Cosmo is great, as the Cosmo the dog, the astronaut dog. It's just overall... Even though they introduce new characters, they don't feel forced. They don't feel out of place. Um, so it, it makes sense when we get to the end and what, what happens. Now, I'm not going to say if anyone dies or not. Because that would be too big of a spoiler. 
Uh, the after credit scenes are great, though, because we get like a kaiju Groot. Um, and then also, we do know, I will say this, I'm not going to tease the second after credit scene, but we do know Star-Lord will, will return, and it does say that at the end of the film. So despite Chris Pratt saying, yeah, I'm leaving the door open, it sounds like he's coming back as Star-Lord at some point. More than likely in Secret Wars or King Dynasty, one of those two. But it was such a fun movie. I think Kraglin has the best character growth overall of all the characters. Um, learning to, you know, fill Yondu's shoes. And uh, Nebula does as well. But it you got to watch it, right? It, it is such a fun movie. It's interesting to have Nebula this time instead of Gamora. Uh, it, it fills kind of in with what we got in Endgame, right? Where Nebula is is with the Avengers. So it's definitely a fun movie. It, it is 100% 10 out of 10. Best Marvel movie since Endgame, in my opinion. If you were hesitant because of the last few Marvel movies, I want to qualm those fears right now until you need to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But it is so good. It was so damn good. It, the, I could sit here and nitpick... Or I could sit here and explain the whole movie scene by scene. I won't. But I'm just telling you that the things I did enjoy, there wasn't much I didn't like, actually. There was very little of it that I didn't like. So I I just got to say it, it was so refreshing and so fun. And it, it means my faith in James Gunn to run DC. I really don't have a lot of fears in that anymore. I had some. They were starting to bubble up. But in reality, I'm, I'm not concerned at all anymore. And he did very well with capping his trilogy on the Guardians films. Uh, but that is it for Nixner News. Don't forget to go to our website where you guys can find links to all our social media sites as well as where to subscribe to the show, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, things like that. Uh, Nixter News on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. The Nick DeFalco on TikTok. And uh, with that, I will catch you guys later. Catch you on the flip side.